We are in uh, the book of Numbers today, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, so the fourth book. If you go to Deuteronomy, you're too far. We're in chapter 14, talking about missing blessings. That's one of the worst things in life is to miss blessings. The first blessing, of course, is the blessing of salvation. It's a tragedy if, if those who miss that do. And there are too many out there that don't know our Lord and Savior, too many that need to hear. And there is a hunger there. We may not believe it, but they're looking for answers. But then there is missing the blessing as a Christian. There are blessings God continues to want to pour out on us and continue to do for us. And so today we're going to look at the Israelites as they were about to receive the blessing of the promised land. Let's read our verses 14, 1 through 9. Then we'll kind of talk about the backstory. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were also among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction it gives, for the insight. Thank you for the principles that it teaches us that we can apply to our daily lives today. Father, open your word to us that we may understand, hear you, and obey you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're familiar with the story of the Israelites. Of course, they had gone to Egypt back when uh, Joseph became the leader there. He was carried there, uh, given away by his brothers, sold into slavery actually, and went down to Egypt. But God was with him, and he became a, a powerful man in the land of Egypt, the land of Goshen. And it was through that that later when there was a famine in Israel in the land of Canaan up there where Abram lived that they were able to go to Egypt. Joseph revealed himself and they settled there and all the Israelites or most of them moved to, Israel, to Egypt and be, that became their residence. Pharaoh was favorable to them because of Joseph. He had a lot of admiration for Joseph. Joseph had been a very good leader for him. And so the Israelite people thrived there in Egypt, but 
400 years passed as God had predicted it would. And in that time of passing, of course, Joseph passed and was gone from the scene. The Pharaoh that knew Joseph had passed. And the Pharaohs that came up did not remember the history, did not value Joseph, did not value the Israelites. And God had continued to bless the Israelites and give them lots of children and, and bless their crops and the flocks and everybody. And the, Israel, the Egyptians became worried about them. They became threatened by them. There were so many of them, they feared that they would rise up against the Egyptians and seek their freedom and seek to take over things. And so they started oppressing the Israelites even more, subjecting them to even more stern slavery, making their work harder on them. And through that time, through that oppression, the Israelites called out to God for rescue for freedom from this oppression. And God heard their cries. God knew their cries would be coming. And he was ready. And he started by having a woman have a little baby. He didn't have a, a knight come riding in on a white horse. He started again with a child. And he protected that child as, as Pharaoh sought to kill the children under a certain age because they were a threat to him, he thought. And of course, Moses' mother Miriam laid him in a basket, sent to his sister to watch over him. And as it turns out, coincidentally, God incidentally, the daughter of Pharaoh finds him and decides to take him in and raise him as his own. And so Moses is reared in the house of Pharaoh, and that means he had the uh, best education, the best uh, leadership teaching, and he learned the Egyptian culture inside from the inside. But then, of course, you, you continue to remember the story that uh, Moses one day saw one of his Hebrew uh, brothers being beaten on by a uh, an Egyptian soldier, and he ends up killing the soldier, thinking nobody saw what happens. But then it gets out, and he flees to Midian. Midian was out in the desert, and he's there, and uh, he's tending flocks. And then that day that God comes and calls him to go to work, calls him from the burning bush, saying, Moses, I need you to go talk to Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go. And Moses was a reluctant prophet. He did not want to do that. He did not believe he could do that. He frustrated God with his excuses. And he, God finally sent Aaron to go with him to help him speak and talk to Pharaoh. So they delivered the edicts from God to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, of course, resisted. We go through all the different plagues that God brought upon the Pharaoh upon the land of Egypt, ending with the death of the firstborn child in any house that was not covered by the blood. At that point, Pharaoh said, okay, I've had enough, get out of here. And so the Israelites gathered their stuff and headed out and were crossing the Red Sea into what we call the wilderness. Through that time, God 
protected them. He provided for them. During the day under the searing heat, he sent a pillar of cloud to shade them. During the night, he sent a pillar of fire to light the way and to afford protection. He fed them, he kept them, he provided for them all the way to the land of Canaan. And that's where we find them here now. Chapter 13 starts, they've come to the border of Canaan. And God actually says, pull together 12 tribes and send them into the land to spy out the land. Now, of course, as we understand these stories, none of this is a surprise to God. None of this is new to God. All of this is planned from God. And we actually have, as I said, the prophecy back with Abram that his people would go into the land of Egypt for 400 years. And that's what happened. And then God calls them out, leads them out. And so all of this is in God's planning so that God is not having them go in to spy out the land to decide if it's feasible to do, to decide if they can do it. It's really a strategic move on two fronts. One is to see that it's a land flowing with milk and honey, that it's a great place that God had promised them. And God had promised that land to Abraham as recorded back in Genesis 15, recorded that Abram's people would be there. But it was a land... Uh, rich with resources for the Israelite people to go in, but also to see who they would need to battle. The Israelites were going to have to change from laborers to warriors. When God gives them the land, when God gave them the land, they weren't just going to walk into an empty land. There were people there who wanted to keep it. And so the Israelites were going to have to challenge them. They were going to have to confront the culture. They were going to have to overcome those who were there in order to bring in the Israelite nation and establish the nation of God, the kingdom of God there in Canaan. So they were having to follow a, a new paradigm. They probably had not had weapons or possibly had not had weapons in Egypt because they were slaves. They were not trained in them. We imagine they were not skilled in them and they were going to have to take on these attributes. So when they went into the land, they saw that there were people there and some of them, the uh, land of Anak, were considered giants, very great people. And so they, they cowered at the thought of battling them. And as they came out, 10 of the spies proclaimed, no, we can't do it. Yes, the land is great. Yes, the land is full of resources, but we will die at their hands. And they went through the, the whole nation and they instigated murder, murmuring, not murdering, but murmuring, complaining, and all the people uh, most of the people, anyway, started turning against Moses, and they said, we can't do it. But Caleb and Joshua were, were two that said, yes, the land is a rich land of rich resources, and yes, there are people that will be difficult to defeat, but our God is with us. Our God has promises to us. Our God has been with us through all this time. But the people refused to follow. They went after the ones who said, we can't do it. They succumbed to anxiety and fear and they lost their faith in God. Or perhaps they never had it. 
Perhaps they were just fleeing the oppression. They didn't think God had anything to do with it. They just thought it was a, a good way to go. But regardless, when they got to that point of God saying, go in and take the land, they refused to do it. They disobeyed. They turned what God had intended for them to go in to uh, spy out the land, to scope it out, to set their strategy, to set their plans. They were mistaken. They were there for God to encourage and show them what they needed to do. They thought it was their decision about what they should do. It was already decided in God's mind. God was giving this land to them. He had given it to them. Now they were to go in and possess it. And so their error here is thinking that they were supposed to take over control. They were supposed to take the initiative and follow their own knowledge and wisdom rather than trusting and doing what God said, even though it didn't make sense. And Caleb and Joshua were not foolish. They understood the challenges, but they were faithful. They believed that God would keep His promise. They had seen, they had experienced God's provision for them in the desert. They didn't go without. And so they said, we need to go forward. We need to follow God. But the people refused. God didn't smite the people. He didn't wipe them off the face of the earth. But he said, okay, you won't receive the blessing. You will not get to go into the land and the people will not enter until this generation has passed away some 40 years. It's really important to note here that God never intended for them to wander in the wilderness any length of time at all especially not 40 years. That was not God's plan. That was not His desire. It was about 150 miles from Egypt to the land to the border of Canaan. And it took them, scholars think, about two weeks to get there. So they were traveling this time about two weeks. But because of their lack of faith, because of their disobedience, because of their setting their wisdom and knowledge above the command of God, they ended up wandering in the wilderness and dying in the wilderness. And the next generation went in and took the land. Another point there is, by their refusal to obey God, they did not thwart God's plan they didn't cancel God's plan. They didn't eliminate God's promise. God just waited. He waited for a people that were willing to go in and obey Him and follow Him. God completed His promise. He completed His plan. And God's plan goes on. Though we may quench it, though we may grieve Him, Though we may disobey and we don't go into what God has called us, God is going to accomplish His plan in this world with somebody. And so these who refused to go into the land to obey God missed the blessing. They missed the reward of God. And later on, the ones that did go in, did go into a land 
rich in resources, and they became a great nation and, uh, and enjoyed the promise of God. There is a danger so often of thinking we need to just go back to Egypt, that things are hard. I want to go back to the way things were. I want to go back to taking control of things and controlling it myself and doing it myself. I want to be, it was more comfortable then. But like the Israelites, we have selective memory. The Israelites thought it would be better to go back to Egypt, the land they couldn't wait to live, the land with oppression, uh, the land that uh, they were slaves in, and, they, and it was hard to where they cried out. And can you imagine what life would have been like for them if they had returned to Egypt to an angry Pharaoh who had seen his army wiped out? all the deaths had occurred in the families, I think it probably would have been worse than when they left. Would make sense to me that Pharaoh would react that way. But they said, let's go back. We didn't live in tents. We didn't live in the desert. We had homes. We had food. And so they thought that that was a better way. But God wouldn't give them that wish. God said, no, you're going to wander in the desert, in the wilderness, which is a a metaphor for sin. It's, it's reviewed and seen in that way, the, the desert of wilderness. And so they wandered, not because of God's plan, but because of their disobedience, because they refused to go ahead. Again, God wasn't surprised by all this. He knew it was going to happen. I'm sure in his heart, in His will, He wished the people would obey. He wished the people would go forward, would do different, but they didn't. And so on the precipice of plenty, the Israelites rebelled and received that reward. They were not allowed to go into the land and experience the blessing. Proverbs 15.22 tells us, that plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. It is wise to bring in various viewpoints and experiences and knowledge in making a decision. That is a good way to go. That is a smart way to go. But if that leads to disobeying God as it did with the spies, then it's wrong. God's Word, God's direction, God's command is preeminent. It is what we are to do. It's where the blessings lie when we over things and make our own decision, make our own choices and against the will of God, then we err and we bring trouble. Trouble came time and time again in the Bible. Adam and Eve took things in their own hands and they said, ah, oh, that looks like it'd be okay to eat that fruit. They ate it. Sin came into mankind. They were cast from the garden. In this account, the Israelites refused to go into the land and they wandered for 40 years. They lost 40 years of prosperity, of blessing. We have the account we're studying it in our study of the book of Esther about Haman was an Agagite. And the Agagites 
dated way back to King Saul before that. But King Saul was ordered to destroy the Agagites completely. God knew they were going to be a problem. But Saul and the soldiers didn't. They kept the spoils. They kept the king. And Saul comes in to Samuel and says, Hey, I did what God said. And Samuel says, Well, what is this bleeding I hear in my ear? Meaning the crops that they attain. And Saul starts to equivocate. Well, I thought it'd be good. We can worship God with this. We have captured the king. We can offer him. And Samuel said, That's not what God told you. Now the kingdom is removed from you. And God took his hand off Saul. And that's when the start of the process of David becoming king. Because of Saul's disobedience, he was removed as king. And years later, the Agagites threatened the Jewish people with slaughter. And God had to step in through Esther to save them. Refusing to follow God always brings a reduction of blessing. We don't get to share and enjoy what He had for us. And so we want to be sure, yes, we, we use the intellect and the skills God gave us, but it's always couched in, God, what are you doing? Henry Blackaby is a great Bible teacher uh, who has since gone to be with the Lord, and he wrote a study called Experiencing God. Some of you may have been through it. It's a tremendous Bible study, getting uh, us to change kind of how we think in order to go where God goes. And that's one of the things Henry Blackaby teaches in that, is that very often we as Christians, we as humans, choose the way we think we ought to go and then say, God bless it. Maybe He does, maybe He doesn't, but He's not obligated to. That is our direction. Blackaby teaches, rather find out where God is working and join Him in that. See where God is doing things and join Him in His work is the design, is the desire of Almighty God, not going our own way. Many of you have seen the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, written by C.S. Lewis. And in that movie, there's a line. In the book, there's a line that I really like. The children are wondering, where is Aslan? We need him. Aslan, of course, being the great lion, the representation, the metaphor of God. Where is he? We need him now. Why doesn't he come? And one of the people speak to them and said, he is not a tame lion. He does not come at your bidding according to what you think. He comes when he needs to, when it is his will and desire. Our God is not a tame lion. He's not a genie in a bottle that we rub with prayers to get him to perform the work that we want him to do. He is a God that is moving in this world to draw people to Him. He desires that people have faith in Him, and He has given us that charge to do that. And so we need to join with Him along the work that He's doing. Romans 15.4, the Apostle Paul writes that all Scripture, everything that was written in the past, was written to teach us 
so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Scripture is given for us to learn from. Even the story in the book of Numbers that occurred thousands before our time today, four to 5,000 years before, there are still principles for us to learn from that. We need to be careful about the Egypt we're going back to. There's a great statement by Adrian Rogers, a preacher many of you remember from the times past about faith, and it's what I draw, drew my title from. He said, faith that falters before the finish was faulty from the first. Let's read that again. Faith that falters before the finish was faulty from the first. Our faith should sustain us through to the very end when God calls us home or when He comes to catch us all up to be with Him. Paul said and taught, blessed are those who endure until the end. And endures the right word because just because we become a Christian, in fact, because we become a Christian, life does not get easier. The struggles are still there. It's still difficult. It's still an endurance, but we have the Holy Spirit to empower, lead us, and guide us, and help us to accomplish. And so we need to think about this illustration. What is our Egypt? It's certainly, for most of us anyway, not some place we're looking to return to, but rather it's an attitude. It's a a way of doing things. It's wanting to revert back to, uh, to old, old ways that have sufficed, that can be good ways, that can be wise ways. It can sometimes, returning to Egypt is just wanting to be comfortable, to not be trying anymore, to not have to work. We don't want to be a warrior. We want to be a, a laborer and just kind of have a peaceful day. And those are not bad things unless they're against what God is doing. God moves forward. God is directing us forward. So as we think about what is it we're doing before God, are we moving forward with Him? Are we seeing where He's working? Are we following with Him, joining with Him in the work? That's where we're going to see the success and the power because God is able to do that beyond what we can ask or think or do. And so we think about following God, being that warrior. We forget those things in the past that draw us back to comfort, back to ineffectiveness, back to uh, uh, just being uh, lazy perhaps. We follow God, and that requires faith. It requires vision. It requires trust. Because like the Israelites going into that land, the job was bigger than they were. They were right. In their own strength, they'd have been wiped out. Had they not had Almighty God on their side, they would have never made it. They were not a, a seasoned army. They were not seasoned warriors, and they were going against great armies. 
But because God was with them later when they did go in, those armies fell before them. And so it is following God requires that stepping out where he says to go that doesn't look right to us. But it's right because God said that. So we get back to that by renewing our faith in God, by remembering who He is, the supreme creator of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, who sees the beginning and the end and knows where we need to go. He takes us places now that are a mystery to us, but it's because of what needs to happen later. We believe in the Scripture. It's written for our instruction. It's written for our guidance. And we don't dismiss any of it. What I don't understand is what I don't understand. It doesn't, it doesn't mean it's wrong or contradictory. It means I don't have full understanding of that yet. But we believe in the Scripture and in the promises God has given. We should become aware and remember what God has done. That's the benefit of reviewing the past, is we should be able to look back with hindsight what we can't see with vision, where God has provided and sustained and protected. And that should bolster our faith to trust Him in the future. And then, stepping out in faith in that direction, God has said go. As we step, that's where our faith grows. There are those occasions in the Bible and, and when they went into the Canaan land, when Joshua was leading them, God told the uh, people to have one from each tribe take a stone to build an altar in the middle. And the Bible tells us that the water of Jordan were rushing waters. It was storm time. They were, they were very uh, dangerous. But when they stepped into the water, it parted. And while they were on dry land, the river was rushing. But when they trusted God and stepped out in faith, He parted the waters, and the Bible says they stood in a heap a long ways off. And then, after having done that, they erected their stones there for later purposes to teach that God provide. My memory from time to time is, is failing me, as it is wont to do. But in my review of Scripture, and I've been pondering on this for a couple of weeks since I had this sermon laid on my heart, in reviewing Scripture, I cannot recall a time God ever said, go back. He may say, be still and know that I am God. And we need those moments of re-emphasizing God in our lives, of understanding, of re-remembering Him. But He doesn't say, go back to what you did. Go back to where you were. God constantly says, move forward. Several verses here. Out of the Great Commission, very Famous verse you've heard many times, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. All of those are very 
active directives God gives. Go, make, baptize. When Jesus was ascending His last moments of earth, and we looked at this uh, last week, Jesus said, Ye remain here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't work on your own. Wait for the Holy Spirit's power. And when you receive that, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But go, be my witnesses. John 15, 16. Jesus said very clearly, very pointed, you did not choose me. A lot of us think we did choose to follow God. You did not choose me. I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. On and on, the Bible is saying, move forward, follow God, obey God. And Paul talked about it in Acts 20, 24, as he was reviewing things. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul kept pressing towards the mark, calling of God. And that's what God calls us to. And when we, in our wisdom and our knowledge, decide that we should do something different, we're mimicking those Israelites in the wilderness. God has said, go. He's shown us He'll provide the way. And in anxiety, fear, attitudes of self-importance, arrogance, we say, no, that's not what I need to do. And God doesn't smite us but we can miss the blessing. We may miss the blessing the rest of our life. It just depends on God and how well we've grieved Him, how much we've grieved Him. It may be that we can come to a moment of repentance and God will say, okay, I'll use you again. When He learns, He can trust. But we can miss the blessing. God is moving here at Campbellsburg Baptist Church. Next week, I've asked some to come and share their view of that, what they see, so you hear it from different voices than my own, about how God is working. If you only come in here on a Sunday morning for this hour, you don't see a lot of what God is doing. And it's easy to have our vision misdirected and not see His work in. So we want to talk about that next week, about what God is doing as another reason for us following Him, not relying on our own strength and wisdom, but seeing, as Blackaby said, where is God working and then joining with God on what He is doing. I don't want anybody to miss any blessings if you don't know the blessing of eternal life, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, we afford this opportunity at the end for you to come speak with me and we'll pray. 
Or if you want to contact me during the week, we'll get together, talk about that. Christians, I don't want you to miss the blessing of what God wants to do in your life and in the life of your church. And so I urge you to examine your motives, your attitudes, your direction, your faith, and see where God is asking you, telling you, commanding you to step out and follow Him. Just like the children going into the land of Canaan, it doesn't mean everything is going to just fall down in front of you and it's going to be utopia. God is calling us to be warriors, to serve Him, to proclaim Him, and that in that path, He will provide everything we need like He did for the Israelites. He will provide us the strength. We're told He'll provide us the words if we don't feel like we can say the words. What God is asking for is surrender to His leadership.